0: I don't know what image springs to mind when you think about vines. Um, uh, The house that uh, we used to live in in Oxford had this vine that was completely taking over uh, the fence between uh, our property and the property next door. Um, And on both sides, we sort of tried to cut all of the uh, branches that we could see to see if we could actually kill this thing off. Um, And, you know, occasionally bits of it would die off. But for some reason, it just kept staying there, we just couldn't kill this thing off we couldn't work out how it was possibly surviving until we eventually realised that actually whoever had put up the fence had put up two fences that looked exactly the same but were actually this far apart and that in the middle this massive great branch of a vine stem was growing up and was actually feeding vines all the way up and down this fence and this was our, our big problem so we had to get inside the fence to actually destroy this vine it's very, that very simple idea that we could completely get with vines, this sense that if, you're, if the vine is broken, then the branches won't survive. If the branches get disconnected, they will not survive, but if they are connected, they will live potentially forever. Um, uh, it's a very strong image and one that I think we find relatively intuitive um, <clears throat> that sense of, of uh, <clears throat> us remaining in Jesus as our vine. Um, <clears throat> um, of course, the vine that I talk about is quite different from the vine that Jesus would have had in his mind. He would have had a grapevine in mind, um, and of course, the crucial difference there is that a, a grapevine is there in order to produce grapes, um, and uh, um, and so this whole story moves towards this question of fruit. What is the fruit uh, of our lives? Um, and I suppose the question that one immediately asks of this passage is, well, what does it mean by fruit? And, and for now, I would encourage you just to think in terms of the fruit being everything that points towards the glory of God in our lives. So whether that's in action or in our maturing of character, um, all, everything that points towards the glory of God and brings glory to him constitutes the fruit. We'll dig in a little bit more to what that means um, But if we want to live the life to the full that Jesus has been talking about, we have to remain in Him. Some other translations use the word "abide" rather than "remain," and in some ways, that's a slightly more ethereal word um, that we don't use that often in day-to-day life. But on the other hand, it's something that gets under the skin of the name um, of the of the of the of the image very well. Remain has the feeling of of a state, whereas dwell or abide captures that sense of place. Um, It's it's less that Jesus is telling us to remain in a state, stay as you are, remain. It's more that he is telling us to remain in a place, remain in Jesus. Uh, It's the same word that would have been used for dwelling in a place. Um, So in some ways, this is Jesus encouraging us to make our home in him. Um, Let me just point out a couple of things as we get going that are slightly striking about Jesus saying this. Um, The first is that, of course, if you've been reading the story up uh, so far, and if you've been getting the Lent readings, we've landed at just the right place. Um, uh, Jesus has been telling them this incredibly sad news that he is going away. And yet, suddenly, Jesus turns to them and says, remain in me as I remain in you. Um, And, of course, he's also been talking about his Holy Spirit that he will send to us. So there's this sense that even though he is bodily leaving them, by his Spirit, he will remain just as vibrantly active in and among his people as he has been when he was physically here And therefore, for us to follow him, that's as real and active an idea as it was when we could literally walk down the path behind him. Um, So this is all tied into this conversation that is going on, that Jesus is going away, and yet still he remains with us, and we remain with him just as profoundly as if he was still here. Um, Another thing that's a little bit striking about this, if you'd been sat in the room, is that the first thing you would have thought of with vines was actually a lot of what we would call the Old Testament. Um, the, uh, the, the, the people of Israel are described as of the vine a number of times uh, in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, um, you could look at Isaiah chapter 5 as an example of where you might find that. Um, and it's generally associated with them failing to produce any fruit um and therefore falling under god's judgment as a result of that and jesus in saying he's the new vine is saying that he is the new israel he is the one that bears the fruit which israel had failed to bear now bear with me on this i'm going to get a tiny bit technical just for a moment or two if that if that fills you with boredom then that's fine have a snooze and i'll click you back to attention in a minute um There's a very strong theme in John is this sense of Jesus replacing things that we've associated with the story of Israel, replacing the water. He is the water, he is the bread, he is the shepherd. These are all Old Testament ideas that Jesus in himself replaces. And we've talked about how that means that we are therefore the new Israel, the new people of God. But in some ways, it's not quite that simple. It's, It's more that Jesus himself is the new Israel. It is him ...that fulfills what the people of Israel were supposed to do. They were to be a blessing to this world... ...and they failed, effectively, to be God's blessing. Jesus is that. We get to be included in the people of Israel... ...under him, within him. Um, There's that sense of... ...our inclusion is entirely an act of grace... ...of God's grace at work in us. Yes, we are to be a blessing... Uh, But that being a blessing is simply becoming what we already are in Christ. So that's the first sort of layer, the sort of theological layer that sits over uh, this passage. And if you've been remembering the story so far, what we've seen, especially in the Pharisees, is people who would immediately own the identity of being the vine of Israel but have actually shown themselves to bear no fruit. There's no love in their lives, they're not caring for the people, they're just full of pride. Um, And the first application of these, the phrases that Jesus uses, that are quite judgmental, that sense of, you know, if you're not bearing any fruit, you'll be thrown into the fire and burned. That actually is firstly aimed at the Pharisees. It's saying, if you think in your pride, that somehow you get to be part of this new Israel for some other reason, you're wrong. If you're not bearing any fruit, you're showing yourself not actually to be plugged into the vine, not actually to be part of this vine. And therefore, of course, you're just showing yourself, then therefore God removes you from it. Now, there's some hard ideas in there, um, and we can talk about that afterwards if you'd like to. Um, But the point there is simply um, that by God's grace, we get included into this vine. Um, And and that's the end of the technical stuff. So back with me if you had drifted off. Um, I'm going to take you through. It it, it would be easy to over-allegorize what Jesus is saying here, that the, the, the pruning means this, the fruit means this, the vine means that. I'm, I'm not going to try and do that because I think it's a more organic image, so to speak, than that. Um, but I'm just going to point out six things um, that I think are, are embedded in this, uh, in this image that might help us think about how we live the Christian life. Um, and with each one, I'm going to talk for a moment or two about them and then I'm going to give you a little bit of space to chew it over and work out what it looks like in your own life, okay? Okay. Uh, so the first um, is simply this, um, that it is an image of purpose. Um, there is that sense that we, are expect, we expect in our lives to bear fruit. We are to expect to bear fruit. Now, specifically in this passage, um, it seems like the primary application of that is love. So the passage is basically divided down the middle. The first half is this image of the vine. And in the second half, the vine language disappears, and he starts talking lots and lots about love. The primary fruit, it seems, is love. But there's all sorts of things that he says that suggests that he's thinking more than that as well. So we might think of love as the most important fruit, but actually it can include anything in our personal development and in our actions. Um, But it is about purpose. We are supposed to bear fruit. So let's just have a moment of quiet and let me ask you a couple of questions as you reflect on it for yourself. What, what might that mean for you today? What fruit do you want to be seeing in your own life? How are you becoming like Jesus? And how are you bringing the kingdom in word and deed to those around you? Secondly, um, this is an image of dependence, that sense that our fruit bearing is actually entirely God's work in us. Look at verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, neither can you bear any fruit unless you remain in me. Of course, a vineyard worker knows that if a vine, if 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 a branch on a vine is not bearing Fruit. It's not that the vine has to strain harder to try and get some burst some more fruit out from somewhere. It it means, as I said earlier, that there's something's not working. That there's that the 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 connection to the stem is somehow broken. There is that sense that um, our fruit is accomplished because God is working in us by His Spirit. God's love flows through us and out in uh, the fruit uh, into others Um, so again i'm just going to pause us there just for a moment Um, do you see your own spiritual growth and your action as an act of god's grace in you do you recognize your reliance on him uh, even for those for that for your own transformation Thirdly then, this is an image of joy. The whole point, the whole direction of this uh, is towards our joy in God's glory. So verse 8 says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And then verse 11, um, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Whatever you think will bring you joy. Bearing fruit uh, as remaining in the vine will bring you more joy. Um, It's a joy that is of God. It is embedded in God. It is his perfect joy. Um, There's an American uh, author and speaker called John Piper that puts it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to read that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. There's a a certain, there's that sense in which God is involved in the work of changing our affections to make his glory our greatest joy. You know, vineyard workers, again, know how easily vines get out of control. And when a vine is not cared for, what happens is there's lots and lots of growth, but it's all in leaves and branches. And actually the, the fruit itself loses out, misses out from, the, from the, all the nutrients that are coming up from the soil. Um, so we have in this story this sense of God pruning us. Um, he removes the growth in us that is heading in the wrong direction, that is causing us to invest in the wrong things, that is placing our affections in something other than God's glory. Um, and I think we, that's how we need to understand this promise that we see in verse 6, that's also in verse 16, that ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That if our joy, if our desire is for the glory of God, if that's where our joy is located. That is the context in which we are asking. That is, that is, that is the over, overarching idea of our prayer. You could say that every time you pray, um, can, can you generalize your prayer into what Jesus prayed, which is, may your kingdom come. So again, let's be quiet uh, for a moment. What is there in your life, uh, that you are investing in, that is actually a distraction from the fruit, Uh, what is it in your life uh, that you are trying to draw joy from, other than the glory of God? Can you tell yourself that there is more joy in God? here's another word for you. Um, this vine image is about, it's an image of listening. We are to live a life of listening. Um, there's a certain circularity going on in, in, actually, in the gospel itself, that sense of the collaboration between God at work in us and our intentionality, which we've already uh, touched on. Um, but there is that intentionality. This, this passage is still a command. Remain in me. Um, we are to do work ourselves in collaboration with God's Spirit to orientate our lives towards Jesus. Um, we abide primarily through listening to God's word. Um, in verse 3, where he's talking about pruning... He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, actually, the words uh, prune and clean are um, basically the same word. That What he's saying is to his disciples, God is pruning you, but he prunes you by the hearing of the words of Jesus, primarily. Um, the, the, the God, God's tool for orientating our lives towards his affections and his glory is his word in the scriptures. So again, let me encourage us to be quiet for a moment. Let me simply ask you this. Do you give time to listening to Jesus speak uh, in his word? Our fifth idea uh, here is simply this idea that in the vine, we remain in God by following, following. Um, We abide in Jesus by putting his words into action. It's not enough just to listen and hear them, but actually they have to be transformed into action. And there's, again, there's this sense of circularity um, that our affections shape our actions, but actually also our actions shape our affections. Um, We learn to love God's glory by working towards it uh, in action. Um, Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, Jesus is not saying there uh, that, you know, uh, I'll love you if you're good. (laughs) Um, It's clear from multiple passages that that's an idea that Jesus abhors. That's completely contradictory with all that he has been saying. Um, And I'd rather put it this way, uh, that following Christ is about a love relationship. And if we completely ignore what someone that we love says, that relationship gets injured, doesn't it? Especially where it is... A master-follower relationship uh, which is part of the characteristic of our love relationship with Jesus. I'd like you to imagine your boss at work uh, or your old boss where, where you used to work or somebody like that. Imagine going to them and, uh, and saying that you love them and that you are devoted to them. Now, my, my boss is Richard and I find that hard enough to say, I'm sure that you'll be struggling. Um, But imagine. Imagine saying that to them. And then imagine leaving their office and doing absolutely nothing that they've told you to do. That would be a complete contradiction, uh, wouldn't it? Um, There's simply that idea that we express our love for Jesus uh, by following him, by obeying him. So again, I just invite you to be quiet for a moment. In what parts of your life are you not choosing To follow Jesus? Are there ways in which you act to shape your affections to find joy in something other than God's glory? I have one more uh, word to give you. Um, and it's, it's a word that we've used a whole lot already, and I'm just reminding, I'm putting it back on the front and center because I think it's front and center in the passage. Um, and that is simply the idea of love, that the greatest fruit that we can grow is that of love. Um, I, I found, I'd, for whatever reason, the one bit of my... Um, GCSE uh, biology that I can remember is the words xylem and phloem. Does anyone remember remember those words? There's a couple of nods. Yeah? Yeah? There's a lot of shaking heads at the nine. Um, The xylem and the phloem are the tubes that run up through a a, a plant that are how the nutrition gets fed around uh, the the nutrition and the water. Um, The thing that flows through the xylem and phloem Of Jesus and into us and on into the fruit is first and foremost love. Um, You you know how there's echoes of this story of of that idea of that it is by our loving of each other we show ourselves to be God's disciples. Um, That has that sense of how the God we follow, this mysterious Trinitarian Godhead that lives in perfect love of Father, Son, and Spirit, is imaged in us by the perfection of our love for each other. Um, And that it is by showing love for each other that we point to the love of God and draw people towards Christ. So in a minute, John's going to um, continue to lead us in uh, further reflection in song and in quiet. But let me just encourage you to be quiet one last time, and uh, and uh, reflect on love. Do you dwell in the love of God? Do you long to be transformed by it? How are you seeing your love uh, transformed and growing for others? Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that we can remain in you. Thank you uh, for that gracious image of of you in your love, giving us all that we need uh, to be transformed into your likeness and to bear your fruit in this world. I pray that you would prune us and orientate us uh, towards uh, the joy that is found in your glory.